Yeah, thank you very much, Glenn, and uh, just want to say thank you for the opportunity to uh, allow me to speak this morning and grooming me in the last couple of months that I've been here. Um, it's been really fantastic to be here at The Rock and to join in. Uh, those of you that don't know, um, I'm currently the baker at The Ledge Cafe. So those of you that have been here, uh, the stuff that is baked in front, uh, by God's grace, um, I'm getting those out from the oven, and uh, it's really a funny story. Uh, we arrived here uh, in September, and the whole of September was really challenging for John and I, because, you know, you arrive at this place where it's uh, the promised land. It's something that, you know, God has promised you to step out in faith for, and when you arrive, there's many challenges. There are many battles to and, and uh, things to conquer and, and things to trust for. It's not as if everything falls into your lap. And, uh, and one of the things that I prayed for here from the start is for an opportunity here at the Ledge Cafe to serve in some sort of way. And, and here came this opportunity to jump into baking. Now, my background is uh, teaching. I was a, a high school teacher for 11 years. And uh, before we moved here, we lived in Williams Lake in the interior. We were there for seven years and before that, South Africa. So my, my knowledge and experience when it came to baking was... One chocolate cake for Jean, one's for uh, her birthday, and uh, uh, maybe a banana loaf or two, and here and there a couple of scones. So uh, it was really challenging for me, but I said, Lord, this looks like it's from you. I'm going to jump in. By faith, I'm jumping in and trusting you. And by God's grace, uh, I've been able to do that with uh, a lot of grace coming from Jeff and Nick, um, and they're doing a superb job here. And it's, uh, it's also funny, you know, it's, it's by God's grace that I still have the job because uh, the first day that I started, can you believe this, um, it's the day that South Africa played against the New Zealand All Blacks rugby. And that morning was, it's the biggest game of the year, man. And, and can you believe I came here baking on that first Saturday morning, I brought my laptop, I set it up in the kitchen and I was watching the rugby while I was like, hey, okay, muffins, and I put it in, and oh, the Springboks are scoring a try, and I go crazy. And the word of mouth had gone round to these guys, hey, th this guy that's baking, he's watching rugby there at the back. And I think they were thinking, oh my goodness, what did we do getting this guy? And, uh, but you know what? Afterwards, I, I was like, you know what, guys? Uh, thank you so much for forgiving me for that. And, uh, and they kept me on, and it's worked out well. And um, yeah, but now... You know, I'm here, and uh, Jean and I are just seeing how God has provided for us in every step of the way, and uh, leading us here to Squamish. And, um, you know, when we arrived, one of my biggest prayers was um, out of uh, Psalm 90, verse 17, that says, May the favor of the Lord rest upon us, and come and establish the work of our hands for us. And I believe that's a psalm by Moses that he prayed, and, and that became my prayer. And so today is really just uh, an outflow of that and uh, that has come into how God has brought into fruition what he has promised us. So I'm really thankful for that. Now I'm going to jump straight into uh, what we're uh, talking about for the last couple of Sundays. We're uh, in this series based on prayer. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, from a teaching background, so I like interaction. I like talking to students and, and having them interact. So I want to ask the question to you guys here this morning. When you hear the word prayer, what comes to your mind? What is maybe something that 
connects with, connects with you in your mind and with your heart or a memory that, that comes to mind that you're like, yeah, that's, that's maybe something that I can think of. Monday nights. Okay, Monday nights, there's prayer meetings here at, uh, at, at the Rock Church and upstairs. What time is that, by the way? 7 o'clock. It's always open for anyone to attend. So Monday night prayers. Any other things that might come to mind? Depends where you are. Okay, depends where you are. Depends where you are. Anything else? Okay, so we got two examples there. Personally, for me, when I think about prayer, um, what comes to mind was when I was little, little boy, I lived with my mom at home, didn't go to daycare or anything, but my mom used to gather with a group of ladies once a week for, they called it prayer hour. In Afrikaans, but ear, prayer hour. And um, this was a group, group of ladies that came together wearing their their dresses, their hats, and for one purpose. They wanted to meet with God, and they wanted to pray. And the name was Prayer Hour, but I promise you, it was not an hour. Two hours, three hours. And then they would have tea, and maybe cake, and visit. And that's something that comes to mind for me when I, when I hear the word prayer. A um, couple of years ago in Williams Lake... Uh, John and I invited our neighbors, who were not Christians, uh, to, to our house for supper. And I knew, of course, all right, you know, we're going to get to that point. We're going to eat. Um, should I pray? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to pray. And so I asked them, you know, would it be okay? We're just going to pray before we eat. And immediately the dad went to his daughters. He said, okay, girls, we're going to, Rudy's going to pray to God. So take your hands, put them together like this and close your eyes. And the girls were like, why? What are, what are we doing? What's Rudy doing? And he's like, he's speaking to God. And, and I was like, oh, this is exactly not what I wanted, right? Like, they had this idea or perception that they have to put their hands a certain way. They have to act in a certain way because we're now going to pray, even though they had no idea who God was and what I was doing. But they had a certain predisposition towards this word prayer. They had an idea. They had a frame of reference. Now, the question that I want to ask this morning is, you know, where does that perception come from? Like all of us have some kind of frame of reference for it. In our culture today, prayer is not something that is foreign. It's really not. We live in such a pluralistic culture where anything goes. Prayer is subjective. You can make it what you want it to be, really. Nowadays, the, the word for it is meditation. I meditate. You know, the other day I saw a, a pamphlet of Squamish, and, uh, and I think it was this picture of uh, a lady sitting somewhere on the top of Mount Garibaldi or something. There's a big lake, beautiful, but she's sitting in this posture that's like, hmm, okay. And so... What comes to mind for me is, okay, what, what is she doing? She, she is super spiritual. She is meditating. But, you know, the question is, what is she meditating on? And who is she praying to? If you just do a Google search about our culture or maybe movie stars and celebrities that pray, you know, you will find many answers. You will find Denzel Washington is apparently a devoted Christian, and he prays. Our very own Justin Bieber is a, 
according to him, a born-again Christian, and he prays. And then you've got examples such as Oprah Winfrey, who not only prays, but she also loves to teach how to pray. I want to read to you this little excerpt here from uh, an article that I found from the Huffington Post uh, from 2015. It says, Philanthropist and media icon Oprah Winfrey took to the podium at Stanford University's Memorial Church on Monday to talk about what it means to live a meaningful life. She asked the more than 1,000 members of the Stanford community that had gathered in the worship space to close their eyes, breathe, and feel the pulse of their personal energy. Open your heart and quietly to yourself, she says, say the only prayer that's ever needed, according to Oprah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, she said. You're still here. She's talking to herself. You're still here. You get another chance this day to do better and better. Another chance to become more of who you were created and what you were created to fulfill. Interesting. Why do I highlight that? Because if you listen very carefully, it sounds very nice. But that prayer is directed at herself, speaking to herself. There's a problem here. You see, the picture we get from Jesus is a totally different picture. The picture we get from the Bible, the picture we get from the Word of God, which is the infallible Word, the inspired Word of God, is not the same as what Oprah teaches here. You see, last week, Len taught us that in the end, there are only two kingdoms that is in this world. There's the kingdom of light. Jesus is the king of that kingdom, and that's the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is the governor of that kingdom, and he's not even a king. Jesus calls him the father of lies and the thief that's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. So there is a discrepancy between what Jesus teaches about how we should pray, and I believe what Oprah teaches, and not that Oprah is now the representative of the world, but she's an example of the culture that's out there and the message that's out there. And so I highlight it so that we can ask the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate and show us, show us in our hearts, where are the areas that we are deceived, where the enemy has come to kill, steal, and to destroy and steal from us what the Father actually wants to give us. Now, I have a goal for today, and it's threefold. You might think because we're speaking on the topic of prayer, that, you know, the, the goal after today's message is that we're pumped up. We're like, yeah, come Monday evening, I'm there, 7 p.m., boom, we're going to be praying a storm, okay? Um, that's not the goal. The goal is this. I don't want you to pray more at the end of this message. First goal is that we will love God more, that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the only way that we can do that is through Jesus Christ and through accepting His forgiveness for our sins. That's our first step. We need to start there. And that our love for God will lead us to love people. Because God 
wants us to love him first, as Jesus said, the, the, that's the greatest command. But out of that flows then the desire to love people. Because every person has been created in his image and likeness. And because of that, we will say, wow, now we want to, now we want to talk to God. Because of that. Because of his love for us. Because it will flow from that place. Instead of us wanting to do something in order to gain acceptance, it's rather because of his acceptance of us that we're like, hey, Dad, I want to talk to you. So those are my goals. Threefold for this morning. Now, I'm going to read the scripture that we're working from. But before I do that, I just want to pray for us. So uh, will not you just close your eyes? Our Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, you know our hearts. Um, you know each and every one of us, and you know my heart. And that's why I come and pray, search me, O God. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Lord, you know my anxious thoughts this morning. You know how weak I feel. And, but Lord, lead us in your ways. Show us if there are any wicked ways in us this morning. And come and show us your way. Lord, I pray that that what is foolishness to the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, will become the wisdom of God and the wisdom that it is, that it will uh, accomplish what it has set out to accomplish this morning. I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. My mouth just ran dry, so I just needed a sip of water there. Okay, so we're in Luke 11. The scripture I am uh, working from this morning is verse 3. Uh, but I'm going to read to you Luke 11, verses 1 to 5. I think I only have uh, uh, verse 3 up there on the screen that will come up later. But if you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 11, verses 1 to 5. And I'm reading out of the English uh, Standard Version. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Luke 11.3 says, Give us each day our daily bread. Out of that verse, I'm going to give us four reasons to pray. First of all, God is a giver. God wants to give life to all. God wants to give daily. And God wants to fuel us for mission. And specifically, His mission. Firstly, God is a giver. And I get that from give. You know, Jesus teaches us to address God as Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. That is amazing. And that implies 
God the Father is a giver. The word says give. The picture of that is of a child that comes and asks, but comes with such a confidence, not doubting that the Father actually wants to give. Now, this is seen throughout the Bible from start to finish. If you're new here this morning or uh, you're just exploring Christianity and you've maybe been invited by someone, and, by someone and you don't know what the Bible is all about or you don't know what Christianity is all about, I want you to remember this one thing then this morning, that the Bible is about one person only. It's about God. It's not about us. The Bible has got many stories about people, but it is primarily about God and how He has loved the world. And because of the sin that had come into this world, because of the rebellion that took place in the hearts of our first ancient, ancient, ancient grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve. He was so gracious and compassionate on us that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that we should have died. So that by the shedding of his blood, we could become children of God. That is an amazing giver. It's an untold story in any other world religion, any other ancient religion. Nothing compares to that, of how a God would do that for the people he had created. For the people that rebelled against him and said, we want to live life in our own way. You know, it's an amazing story that God created and he gives life to mankind. And, and Glenn referred back to that in the Garden of Eden. I think he spoke on that last week. And we see the situation where they listen to the enemy, to the serpent, and they become, or they start doubting whether or not God is good. He creates doubt in their mind and they rebel against him. Now, I've heard many people say, and have written about this, that, you know what, it's ridiculous how this God of the Bible loses his cool. He, he loses it. He doesn't know how to deal with unruly kids. Doesn't he know how to discipline them in love? Why is it necessary for him to banish them out of the garden? This is ridiculous. And I want to say, I don't see that picture. I actually see a very gracious and loving God who knows that he is holy. And because of his holiness, his people who he had created because of their sin, cannot come close to him. They would die. They would be destroyed. But because of that, what does he do directly after they sin in Genesis 3? If you can put up Genesis 3 verse 15. God himself preaches the first gospel. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the singular he and his that is used in that context is referring to a specific person and offspring that would come. A promise for a way to be made so that the initial situation of perfect unity between God and Adam and Eve could be restored. That relationship. Because when they chose to sin, the relationship was broken. Their spirits died. That connection that was there was not the same anymore. So, I don't see a God who loses his cool. I see a God who is very calm, 
and is a giver of the way. And that one person, that one offspring we know was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God gives us the Messiah as the Savior of the world through the nation of Israel. And once again, I want to point out, this is in stark contrast to any of the ancient religions that came out of Mesopotamia, Egypt, Canaan, Babylon. It is in stark contrast to any world religion we see today. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, any New Ageism, any secular humanism. Because in the end, all of these religions are empowered by one and the same father of lies. It's one and the same thing. And it gives you one message, Oprah's message. Do better. Work harder. That's all that it says in the end. Whereas Christianity comes, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, you're not good enough. It's not about how much you pray. It's not about what you do, but it's about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Many people might say, but hold on, Rudy. Look at the, look at the sacrifice system that God put in place for the Israelites after they were freed from Egypt and they were in the desert. And God gave Moses the instructions to build this tabernacle, this tent. And, and man, it's, it just seems like chaos because there's animals and goats and pigeons that are sacrificed. And there's blood and sprinkled. And the, the priests have to, you know, anoint their ear and their thumb and their right toe. And man, it just sounds like a big barbecue. In the end, it sounds like it, but like, and it is. It, it says it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So... But we miss the point of that. If you go and have a look at the point of it, it is God who is a holy God who says, hold on, I want to be with you. I want to dwell with my people. And what is a temporary way for me to do that is put a system in place where shedding of blood can happen for specific purposes. Purposes such as to say thank you to God, to say sorry to God, to be pure. So that they can be in his presence. Because he's holy. Without holiness no one will see God. And all that is put in place. As a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. The perfect lamb of God. That will be a a spotless blameless lamb. Whose blood will be a sacrifice and atonement forever. Not a temporary government but forever. How does that differ from all the other religions and all the other gods? All the other sacrifices and the requirements from the other gods were all so that you could appease them. So it's like, they won't punish me. And it were horrible. Those were horrible sacrifices. We're talking about child sacrifices. We're talking about sexual immoral practices, temple prostitutes, shrine prostitutes, homosexual acts that were to happen in those places of the pagan religions in order to appease God. God's people, totally different. To be called out, to be different than the world. It's the same today. We are called to be different because our God is a giver. I want to paint this picture for you that God is a giver and not a taker. These other faiths, these other religions, the ancient religions such as those that I mentioned, but also today's, And also the ones that we don't even identify as gods and religions. 
I'm talking about the ones that are framed in this way. Oh, it's a beautiful day in Squamish. I'm going to go play. Play. Oh, sorry, love. I, I'm going to be late for work. I've, I know I've been working 12 hours, but I need to go to 16 hours. This, this is what needs to get done, get done for work. Work. Name it. The things that take up our time, that take away from the things of God, those are our modern gods and idols that take as opposed to give what God wants to give us. And so I believe out of that, God asks us to examine and say, but where are we at? Are we choosing the right giver? You know, for me personally, I grew up in a family where it was very dysfunctional in the following way. Um, my dad was a, an alcoholic, struggled with bipolar depression, and uh, my mother was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia in her mid-30s before I was born. And so the situation at home, yeah, there, there are so many details, and I, I'm not going to go into that. But uh, what it looked like at many times with my father was, you know, he would drink maybe every weekend or sometimes a couple of times during the week. And then other times he would not drink at all. But when he would drink, he would drink a lot and he would be drunk. But if I were to go and calculate out of a year how many days he, he was maybe drunk, it would not be nearly as, as many as the times that he was sober. And, and I promise you, I believe that the, the sobering times and, and when he was not drinking was way better than any of the other days that he was drinking. But in my mind and in my heart and those wounds that it, it, it created... Satan took that and came and he stole from me because I started seeing my father more as a taker than a giver. And that had a huge influence in my life when I came to faith in Jesus. And I'm talking about real faith. Faith that was not about what I had done, but about his grace and forgiveness for me, for my sins. But it had a real big influence on whether or not I could approach God and, and call Him Abba, Father, and Daddy. But you know what changed? Romans 8.15 says this, We do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we crowd Abba, Father. And so God is so faithful, so good, that it gives us His Spirit by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so it hit me this week that, you know, you might even have had the perfect Father, but you might still struggle to call God Abba, Father, and Daddy because the Spirit of God has not helped you to do that yet. And so I want to encourage you out of that point. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to do that because we have been told to do that. Second point, out of give us each day our daily bread, us an hour. God wants to give life to all. You know, today in our culture, it's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about the iPhone, iTrade, you pick, you brew. 
It's a mindset that is individualized. Whereas if we have a look at God's view through this prayer, it is about the collective state of His church. It's about the body of Christ. It's about His kingdom dwellers. Notice that in when Jesus uh, teaches us how to pray, it's one disciple coming and asks, teach us. It's a mindset of, Lord, we need help. So it's about the ecclesia, as Glenn had mentioned last week. The called out ones. Do we have a mindset of praying in that way that we say it's about us, it's about God's family? Or is it, you know, maybe you relate to me that I would acknowledge 90% of my prayers is pretty selfish. It's about me. It's about the calling God has got on my life. It's about, Lord, what's the next step for me in this journey? Whereas if we see this, it's like we need to remember it's about God's kingdom. Your name, Lord, be lifted up. And Lord, his, his name is lifted up, yes, individually by us, but as the body of Christ, as His people coming together. Now the question is, how are we able to pray us, give us our da- daily bread? In other words, how are we able to pray it from that point of identity that we can say, well, I'm included. I'm in God's family, and I can pray it for God's family. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the answer. The only way that we can pray this, the only way that we can pray, give us our daily bread, is to be included into God's family through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the key is, so that whoever believes. Guys, here in Squamish, there are thousands of whoever's outside of this building and outside that's, that's not here. There are many of them. So why pray give us our daily bread? Because God wants to see more people added to His family. He's a good Father. He wants to see all Come to faith in Him. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. So there is still many whoever's outside that, that I would love to see and say, us, pray with us. Come be with God's family. So what could this look like for us as a church? What could this look like for the Rock Church? Yes, it is give us our daily bread. Pray that as an individual. Pray that for your family. But, wow, how much more powerful if we follow that example from Jesus in the principle of where two or three are gathered in my name, where God's people come together, And that is why I want to encourage you, join a small group, join a missional community group. Because it's in those groups that we actually then hear people praying. We start praying. You know, when I joined a small group for the first time, I was so scared to open my mouth. 
I was so scared because I, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to speak to God. But the more I hung out with my fellow brothers and sisters and saw how they were talking to daddy, I was like, hey, we got the same dad. I want to talk to him that way. Why not? You know, I'm the youngest of five kids. I always looked up to my older siblings and saw what they were doing. And of course, there were bad examples what they were doing. And, but you know what? We're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have got so many good things we can help each other with. And when it comes to prayer, wow, how much can we learn from each other? So I want to encourage you to think about that and pray the Father to the Father for wisdom in that for you. And where you can start praying, give us our day, uh, give us each day our daily bread. Third point. Each day and daily. God wants to give daily. In Exodus 16, we see how God provides for Israel after they were called out of slavery. They were enslaved for, I believe, close to 400 years. It says 400 years in Egypt. And so they are brought into this desert after God had performed specific miracles. He used Moses to get the people to pack up, and there they went. And they came to the Red Sea. God made a way for them through the Red Sea. But here they end up in the wilderness. And they are grumbling. They are like, Moses, we're, we're dying. We're hungry. Too bad they didn't have a ledge there and someone who could bake for them, right? But uh, God is there. He's a baker. And so God provides for them. Listen to this in Exodus 16 verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather the day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God provides for them manna. The people see this happening, and they're like, what is this? And they call it manna. And it's described as almost like, it's almost like the ledger's waffles. Okay, but it's like wafer biscuits and it's like honey. It tastes like honey. But God tells them only gather enough for the day. And on the sixth day, you're allowed to gather for two days because on the seventh day, you need to rest. And Moses tells them, listen, don't keep any extra, but they don't listen. So they keep some extra manna. And of course, what happens? Well, there's maggots and, you know, and, and all of that can bring germs and, and all kinds of, uh, what, what is that in food safe that we learned? These uh, diseases, right? Like if I want to be a baker, I have to do my food safe. Okay, so Moses knew about food safe and he's like, listen, don't keep any extras. This is not, it's not a good idea. But listen, that speaks so much into our mindsets here today as well in our culture. The first time I went to Costco, I was like, what is this place? Said, oh, you know, I thought this is heaven. And then, then I realized later on when John and I would go there, this place is not even like this place is not. This should be renamed the $500 store because you never leave that place with a bill that is less than $500. And so I dread it every time we go there. But because the issue is we go in and what do we do? What do we do? Do we gather? Do we, do we buy just what we need for that day? 
No. You know, I always look at the people that stay close to Costco that do the shopping there every day, and I wonder, wow, do they buy just from day to day, or do they, do they also buy in bulk? But the point is this. Our mindset is like, hey, I've got to gather as much as I can. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, walking sticks. Yeah, I'm going to need walking sticks for next summer. Oh, my goodness. Wow, a sail on that boat. Yeah, I've always wanted. Jean, can I go? I want to go fishing. Can, can, you know, and you just gather and gather and gather. And before you know it, the stuff stands there. And I'm talking out of my own life here. When, when we moved to Squamish, we could not believe how much stuff we had gathered over seven years. And it, it was, for me, like... That when Jesus says, don't gather for yourself where the moth comes and the rust comes and the thief comes. But God wants to give to us daily what we need. Daily provision. Why? Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. I'm going to read to us there. It says, They devoted themselves to the the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all, and uh, as any had need. And listen to this, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, what would it look like for us as the body of Christ when we set aside the worries of tomorrow? We set aside the RRSPs that we have to contribute to. And those are good for planning. I'm not saying, you know, go and withdraw everything now. I don't know. You've got to listen to what God is telling you specifically. But if we were to say, hold on, Lord, am I, am I being like the Israelites? Am I trying to store up more than what I need where I can actually now take the finances or take the resources that I have and it can actually be sown into your kingdom so that we could see your family grow? You know, as a a body of believers and as a church, we're standing before this great, you know, challenge we have. Our body, uh, uh, our building is only this big. We can only have so many people in here at at one time. And so we're praying and and asking the Lord for, for guidance and wisdom of how to go to a second service. But the fact of the matter is that is definitely going to take the body of Christ, the people to come together and say, hold on, this is kingdom. We, we have chosen the sovereign. We have chosen the right father. We know he's going to give to us and he's given to us so much. How much more can we sow into his kingdom and see, just like in Acts, day by day, more people getting saved? Like, wouldn't that be amazing for Squamish? Hey, do we, do we pray that over Squamish? What an amazing picture. Last point. Bread. God wants to fuel us for mission. It's all about God providing the fuel for us. God is interested in our physical well-being. He is. Like, give us today our daily bread. He wants to feed us. He doesn't want us to not be nourished. But God is more interested in our spiritual state than just that. 
You see, our greatest need is not physical, but our greatest need is to be known by God and to know Him, to have fellowship with Him, to worship Him. And Jesus has made the way for us to do that. John 6, verse 35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want to conclude with this. You know, I asked the question in the beginning, you know, what comes to mind when we think about prayer, and we looked at Oprah's example of what she was teaching. But it's not just her. You know what? We need to go and acknowledge that we live in such a time that there are way, way more things in our life and things that want to speak into our life but give us bread, that want to feed us, and we feed into it because it's so easy to fall victim to it. Facebook, Twitter, TV, whatever it is, all different kinds of media. But in the end, we have to choose And I want to encourage you with this. Based on those four points that I put out there. Firstly, God being a giver. I see our application as this. That we need to choose to pray to the right giver. In order that we can become givers. We need to choose to pray for his family. And choose to be part of his family. So that we could help others become part of our family. We need to choose daily so that others can also receive daily. And lastly, we need to choose to actually receive. We need to actually receive. And that posture of receiving and coming and saying, Abba, Father, I need you, I'm broken. I need you to help me. I need you to feed me. I need you to empower me. It's a position of humility where I say, I don't have the answers. I cannot do this. Because God has grace for the humble, but he resists the proud. And in our culture, we have got so much provided to us. We have everything we need. We get so much from the government. We get so many free handouts. Why would we need God? The reason we, we, we need Him is because without Him, we are separated from Him. And if we're separated from Him, that means an eternity without Him. And the Bible calls that place hell. A literal place where we will go to if we do not know Jesus and we do not love and trust Him. My final scripture I want to point out to you here today comes from Matthew 4 verse 4. Jesus is in the desert, and he is tempted by Satan while he is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And it said that he was hungry. And so Satan comes to him and says, hey, listen, you don't need a ledge bakery. You are the baker. Tell those stones to turn into bread. Like, if you're the son of God, man, like that's easy for you. Satan wants to stop Jesus from accomplishing The mission that he was here on earth for. But listen to Jesus' response to Satan. It says there, but he answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that word, the word word, like every word, the Greek for that is rhema. It is different than the word that is used in John 1 that says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word is, in the beginning was the logos. This word, rhema, I looked it up. And what it is referring to is it's a living word. It's an utterance spoken in a specific situation, a quickening of the logos word. It is the word that is buried and in our hearts, but the Holy Spirit, only by His Spirit, makes it alive and it empowers us to resist the devil so that he can flee. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, but it needs to be made alive within us by the Holy Spirit. So, I want to conclude with this. Give us each day our daily bread. I believe God each day wants us to receive the daily bread, which is the word of God made alive in us so that it can manifest Jesus in us and through us to others. And that, that is my prayer for us this morning that, you know, as we head into communion, I am guilty of this, that because we do communion, I'm not used to doing communion every Sunday that it can just become like, okay, here we go. This is the ritual. So I want to encourage us that this morning with communion, that we really seek God's face and ask His Spirit to help us to, to realize that the bread that we take, the body of Christ broken for us, for our sins, and the juice or the wine, it's the blood shed for the atonement of our sins forever. And what an awesome opportunity for you here. If you have not committed your life to Jesus, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have never gone and said, Jesus, I acknowledge you. You are God. I have rebelled. I have sinned in me. I, I need your forgiveness. What an awesome opportunity to start doing that today with communion. But if you have not done that, and if you're not there yet, please let communion pass by. It is not for you. It is for the, the body of Christ. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end off in prayer and uh, maybe the, the ushers or the elders want to come to the front for um, the, the serving of communion. So yeah, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer.